the age of 90, he founded the Swami Vivekananda Youth Movement based on the principles of Ahimsa, Satya, Seva and Tyaga. He has spent the last 31 years of his life in the service of the rural and the tribal poor in the forest of India. He has built the Smartbox organization into India's leading development organization. And Swami Vivekananda Youth Movement today runs uh, many projects and many institutions under it. Uh, SVM also runs more than 50 projects reaching out to nearly half a million people across the state of Karnataka and has centers in USA and the UK. He is also the founder and chairman of Grassroots Research and Advocacy Movement. Dr. R. Balsupramaniam is also a recipient of numerous uh, state and national awards. Many international, national and state committees have counted upon his immense experience in planning and executing rural development programs. Apart from being a distinguished Frank Rhodes Professor at Cornell University USA, Dr. Balu is, was also a vigilance director. He has assisted in the Loka Yukta Karnataka in investigating into issues of maladministration and corruption uh, in the health sector and in the public administration system. He was also the visiting professor and the head of the Vivekananda Chair of the University of Mysore. He is also a consultant to various national and international agencies including the World Bank in health, education, social and development sector. Dr. Palo has authored five books and he, is also, uh, he also writes extensively about Swami Vivekananda and on development issues in both Kannada and English newspapers and in his blog at rpalu at wordpress.com. Dr. Palo also runs leadership workshops across the world for corporates, NGOs, the government, uh, both in India and abroad, and he is currently researching into leadership lessons uh, that ancient Indian books and philosophy have to offer. With this brief introduction, I have the pleasure of welcoming and introducing Dr. R. Balasubramanian to all of you. Over to you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, and welcome to Mysore. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So many different countries. Nandini, what is it that you would like to hear and what your feedback? Uh, I have this. What's your time? Half an hour. Half an hour, let me tell you what I believe is development. It's a short time, but I try to see how they can. What does development mean to all of you? Anyway? I can always see what development means to me, but I would like to know what does development mean to you? Especially for countries like ours. We say we are developing still. I believe the whole world is developing. My views are different. What does development mean to you? Positive changes of society. Positive changes of society. Okay, Better really mean? Yes, it means. See, for me, 
I'll tell you my challenge. I was, when I spent time at Harvard, people gave me a job there. And I said, I take it. I came to India. And all my friends said, you're an idiot. You're going to take a better life. You're going back to India. So in their perspective, I was throwing away a better life. But in my perspective, I took a better life. Now, what is better now? Whose perspective are you looking at? Right? That's a challenge. Because it depends on the dimension. <laughs> it depends on the dimension you're focusing on. The dimension you're focusing on. So again, it's so confusing. <laughs> uh, that's a challenge for all of us, right? And the mistake you all have done as a, as a community of practitioners, as a community of policy makers, or whatever you call it, is to use the easiest interpretation of development to the economic growth. Very sadly, the whole world, and my country including, thinks economic growth is the end all of development. I don't subscribe to that view. I have a different view of development. I have a very practical view of development. I live that state, the poorest of the in this country, the forest. And live in their huts and they know what I've seen what poverty is. Unfortunately, the state interpretation of poverty is driven by econometric terms. Even a narrow interpretation, a dollar a day, a dollar and twenty-five cents a day, and all they talk about a dollar and seventy-seven cents. Suddenly, last month, World Bank published a new report, and we all simply accept what are the World Bank conditions. So, I myself advise the World Bank. I think we are all fundamentally flawed. So, I have a different view on development. To me, development is a constant expansion of human capability. It's not about income growth alone. It's about anything that can expand the capabilities development. And every one of us are expanding our capabilities. If you have come from such far away countries, you might have been. You expand your capability of capability all the time. You're learning from new things. You're seeing from new things. You see different experiments. And it adds on to your existing knowledge. You may go back and try different things based on this kind of period or month of travel on this country, and your capability is expanded. In that sense, you are developing. Limiting it to just narrow frameworks of money and economy, I think, is a flawed concept. So I want to share with you what my constitution talks about. I believe the Indian constitution. And I'm not saying it because I'm an Indian. I have studied comparative, I have better comparative studies of constitution across the world. And I personally believe the Indian constitution is one of the finest written documents you can ever see. I don't know how many of you have actually read the Indian constitution. I don't know whether part of your training is that you have already exposed to it. So I'm saying it's a very proud Indian. I'm, I'm justifiably proud. Mainly because it's the longest written Indian any document in the world, the longest written constitution available. Not only that, if you were to have the time to go listen to my founding fathers of this country who debated the Indian constitution, it's an extraordinary debate. You can listen to the debates of the Constitutional Assembly. Unfortunately, most Indians themselves don't know this. It's a fascinating appreciation of what India should be. And to me, my Indian constitutional framework is is the finest social re-engineering document there. It's not about governance, it's not about running the country, it's about social re-engineering this country itself. And so if you look at India, I believe that talks about four major players, and that's what development means to me. If you reduce the sentence, I will call the country the state or the government. My constitution guarantees virtually everything. And it guarantees to the state provides everything. 
We are the only country in the world which has got social entitlement based legislations, whether it is employment, whether it is old age, whether it is domestic violence, whether it is uh, uh, financial inclusion schemes we have, it's not an act, it's a scheme, so whether it is education, we are virtually guaranteed by the Indian Constitution and we are all fighting for health care, which will become a universal right soon. So the, the state exists for the citizens and we the citizens populate the state. We are the ones who become officers. We are the ones who become politicians. But despite all the promise of the Indian Constitution, the state didn't deliver. And that is why you see so many problems. The state failed in meeting its constitutional obligations. And that is why many of us, the civil society, we can call them NGO, I don't like the word NGO, we still use it because people are used to it. We felt since the government is not doing, we can directly do And that's how people like me started hospitals and schools and other responsibility. We felt the state is not providing goods and services. We can start providing them. And we started doing such a good job, you'll be surprised. Next to the United States, the highest number of NGOs in the world is India. We have close to 3 million NGOs in India, which is huge and it's sometimes frightening. We are the largest employer in this country. The government thinks it's the largest employer, it's not true. Not Indian railways, they claim we are the largest. The NGO sector is the largest employer. And we started delivering goods and services. And the state thought, oh, this guy has doing a better job than us. And they started funding us. So we have got officially Earlier we had a planning commission, I think I have spoken to you about this. The planning commission formally the eight plan documents said the NGOs are doing a very good job. Let's start funding the NGOs directly from the government. And that is how the whole environment changed and we started getting funds. We not only got funds, the government asked us to be on their committees. That is how I think we have so many government committees, the planning commission and other committees. To the extent that the anti-corruption commission is a state-led body. But I was the general director. They took me from outside. The civil society took me there. That is the extent to which state brought people like me inside. But 91, a lot of things changed in India. For, for the good and the bad. The state was providing everything. My country is a very strange country. The government used to make bread. The government used to run airports. Government does everything except if you know if you have a very, very, very funny situation in the state of Karnataka where you are today. If you are born here, the moment if you are born to let's say our country has got the problem of caste, and if I am born to parents who belong to different caste, the government will give me fifty thousand rupees to my parents to get married. And when I am born, my government will give my mother. 3,000 rupees for having given birth to me. Then in my name, I'm a girl child, the government gives me 100,000 rupees in a fixed deposit to be kept till I'm 18. And then it will feed me for the first six years in Akhmerwadi. Then I go to a school, the government gives me free food, free uniform, free everything. It's so good in my country that you have to be born here in South. And you have to call yourself poor. <laughs> and for this government, you give your car. Yes, yeah. And 80% of the people in the state are poor. No, no, 80% of the poor is the poor. The poor, unfortunately, because below poverty line, everybody has got a below poverty line card. It's a very funny situation. 80% of people in 
presiding. It's a very fraudulent way. There's a 49% of my last investigation was an already assessment error. There's a 49% inclusion error, which means 49% of the undeserving rich are included as poor. And the painful thing is a 5% exclusion error. The real poor was no voice at all. It's excluded from this targeting. So we have a system where everybody loves to be called backward and poor. Because the state supports you so much. Like I said, then you go to school, state takes care. You get married, state takes care. In my neighboring state, if you get married, you get a television set. You get a mixer. Uh, you get a mixer blender. So it's and virtually destroying the very notion of enterprise and development. So I am a strong critic of all this freebie. So my view on development is anything that takes away human capability is not development. And the state itself will take it away in the name of there are populist schemes. But the corporate world came in 91. The government realized we should not be making bread. We should not be doing all this. We, we make scooters, we make cloth. The government makes everything. There's a factory in a state called Uttar Pradesh called Scooters India Limited, run by the government. The last 30 years, they have not produced a single scooter. But all the employees get paid even today. And this is, this is a tragedy of this country. But then they are changing. A lot of good things are happening now. And the corporate got, we did a lot of privatization, we did a lot of deregulation. So state changed policy for corporates. And when state changed policy for corporates, corporates started making more things. You know, we lived in a funny country. I remember 40 years ago, my father bought a scooter. To buy the scooter, he had to book the scooter 10 years before. Because the company which made scooters were given a quota that you cannot make more scooters than this. So the government policy was so suffocating that companies were told you cannot make more cement than this, you cannot make more scooters than this. But once they deregulated in 91, today you can walk into any shop and buy in five minutes. You don't have to wait 10 years. If I had to get a telephone when I became a doctor, my father was very happy. I thought my father was happy because I became a doctor. When I went home and told him I got graduated, he said, I'm very happy. And I said, I thought he's really happy because I became a doctor. Then he told me, I'm very happy because I can now apply for a telephone in your name and I will get it in six months. If I apply it in my name, it will take 10 years. He was happy because doctors would get special appointment in six months. But today, if I call from here, whether it's BSNL, the government or any private company, five minutes I have for connection. So, so many things have happened after 91. But these people make goods and service for the people, right? They make what we demand of them. But when they make more money, they pay more taxes. They started actually running, they started supporting NGOs like fine. They started having their own foundations. And to me, development is essentially a scientific partnership with all the four major players. What you see in India today is an extraordinary example where the state does its job, the citizens have to do their job, the NGOs have, nobody can say I am more important than others. Twenty years ago I would have said I am the most important. Everybody else is useless. But today by experience I am telling you that all four players are important. We need corporate India, we need the government, Citizen groups, the Indian civil society initiatives. Together, we think about development.
And what development means to me, now I'll mention some other video, is constant human capability expansion actually translates as expanding human and social capital. I believe if my capital is expanded as a human being, if my social capital is expanded by my networking relationships, they will have enormous economic consequences. So I fundamentally believe it's not about economic growth to happen, but I should look at expanding human and social capital. And my own country is an example of that. Till 16th century, 1,600 years, India was the leading economy in this world. Our share of global GDP was 38%. We were the richest country in the world. We could have given the rest of the world money for charity. Last 300 years, today we are one-third of all the burden of the world is in India. Eight states of my country have more poor people living in them than the entire continent of Africa. We are a huge challenge in this country and we need to understand what happened in 300 years that we became so poor. And what happened was we lost the focus of expanding human and social capital. Today I am concerned, practitioners will be very concerned that my country and my government's policies today are focusing only on economic growth. They are not focusing. In the last 20 years we are focusing so much on economic growth. We are all wanting to grow faster than China. We want to become a Singapore overnight. We are not looking at expanding more and social capital. And to me, that is the wrong way to go. All our countries, what we need to really look at is how do we expand human and social capital. Because once you do that, economic consequences will ensue automatically. We don't have to worry about it. Focusing only on that is an incomplete way of looking at human development. I'll stop here. Next 10 15 minutes, we can share and interact and have questions about our programs, about what we do, or anything that we like to do. I normally teach this over whole semester. But we want you to share this in 20 minutes. It's a challenge. So anything that you'd like to ask me, I'd be happy to share. Where are you going to ask? I'm going to show you the same mic of balance. Sir, can you just elaborate a little on that? You are using two words, human and social capital. How do you differentiate a the human capital essentially and what expanding human capital means, that means expanding into four domains. The first domain we call is the physical domain. Expanding the physical human capital. All your health programs, your nutrition programs, all the come under that. Staying physically healthy, taking care of the body. The next domain is what we call the intellectual domain. So here is what your education comes in. Your education, your awareness, your knowledge building, all that comes in there. The third human capital expansion is what we call emotional domain. How well are we able to take care of each other? How are we able to, can I build relationships? How do we take care of myself and my relationship with others? So it's intrapersonal intelligence and interpersonal intelligence. How do I build programs to do this? The state doesn't focus on this at all. Are it, uh, does it synergize with uh, human values? All of that is included there. All that is packaged into this. And the last is actually it's packaged into both this and the next one. So what we call the spiritual domain. It's not religion, again, I don't get belong. This is where the values is highly focused on. This is how do I take care of myself? 
and my own surroundings and this is how we will take care of the real spirit of growth, the inner evolution. Now, if I am expanding physically, all of it should happen. I should get good education. I should be able to take care of myself. If you are introducing yoga, this is for physical capital at both levels. This is also for this. You know, we have research to show on this. It's not my, my thought alone. Now, social capital essentially is supposed to focus on two kinds of things that happens. One we call what kind of bonding I have and what kind of bridging we have. Now let me give a simple example. Why have you come to my organization? Why didn't you go to anything else? You could have joined to anywhere in India. Why did Professor Nathishana bring you here? Because we enjoy a bridge. N-I-R-B-S-U-I-N is all in bridged. Right? Only when he is using our social capital that we have. You are all getting the benefit of our social capital. You don't know me. Why did you come here? You came here because you are benefiting from the social capital that I already enjoys with me. I benefit by getting to understand through NIRD the 20 different perspectives of development. If I talk to you, I will give you deeper. If I have more time and engage with you, I have got so many different country perspectives. Experience of so many countries here, right? I benefit. So I am encashing my social capital, he is encashing his social capital. So we bridge. Amongst ourselves, we can bond. NIRD is never bonded as two institutions. That is why he comes back here. He found some value in the bond. So when it is amongst yourself, it is bonding. When it is through you to somebody else, it is bridging. NIRD is a bridge between you and me. So they are bridging and bonding. Getting the difference? A self-help group, when you create a self-help group, amongst members they bond. But when you federate, you are bridging them. My self-help group women, my federation women will call me up and say, I, I want something to happen from Nabar. They are actually printing with Nabar through me. They are using my social capital. So that social capital can be measured. All this can be measured. Right? We measure it through two indicators, three indicators. One is called interdependence. One is reciprocity. And third is trust. If there is trust amongst ourselves in society, if we are interdependent on each other, and we are there for each other, then social capital is high. Today, in the world today, social capital is very poor. That is why we have religious disturbances. This morning in Pakistan, half an hour ago, five terrorists have gone into a university and shot 70 children. There will be more cruel than that. How can any religion allow that? Forget which religion. And they are all religious people, not in some other religion. How do you go kill students in a university sitting in a classroom? You just enter with guns and shoot them? That is because there is no trust interdependence. There is no interdependence, there is no reciprocity. So social capital is all time low in this world. So instead of focusing on economic capital, just imagine a world where you can focus on social capital. For that you must build the human capital. If my intelligence is so narrow that I don't trust, if only when my emotional capital is created, I learn to trust. Right? I trust all of you to come here. One of you carry a gun and shoot everybody here, right? I don't expect it to happen because I trust you. That is because only I am built and all of you trust me. I can put poison in your food. Why don't you think I could do it? Will you trust me? These are all unspoken things. That is what is human development about. Human development is not about the money you give for the food that you eat. It's about the trust that is there behind. That is true development and that is my vision of that. That is what we do with my organization. Yeah.
decision come to? Because I wouldn't say social media is leading. Social media is being used, that's what you can say. It's just a platform. You can use it the way you want. You can use it for bad things also. That is because we are not built a human capital, right? The last 40 years we have built all these schools. What are you focusing on in schools? We are focusing only on cognitive attainment. You don't focus on physical, you don't focus on these two, you focus only on this. That's the price you are paying. Look at ancient India. We had Rukulas, where you had to go bring firewood. You had to go on physical work. Emotional is who built you. He also built you cognitively. And it was for all the spiritual attainment. The spirit of inquiry is part of what spirituality. Spirituality is the spirit of inquiry. We forgot all that. We have become religious because of the inadequate emotional and spiritual capital. We are easily misled by our leaders, so called leaders. And we destroy this country. Not only our country, everywhere in the world. Right? So I believe that if we had only invested on all this 40 years ago, we would have made it. And it's not too late now. Let's invest now. The next 20 years, if all of you go back to your countries and you attain positions where you can take decisions and become policy makers and start investing on all this, look at what a great world we will be. That's what we need. We need global citizens. We don't need geographies to determine us. We need to become citizens of this world. Then we are destroying the world itself, not to destroy our countries. Any other questions? Extraordinary human being called Swami Vivekananda. He lived a very short life. He lived only 39 years. He was born in 1863, long, long time ago. We just celebrated 23 years of his life two years ago. He died in 1902, just lived 39 years. The real work of his life was nine years, 1893 to 1902. In nine years, he changed this country and we keep that book of my notes. Actually, in a small book, it is very not expensive, but Swami Vivekananda, I see him. There is everything about him. He is not just a saint for us, he is not just a nationalist. 
is everything, is a force. He rejuvenated India. And the very powerful sage of the which inspired, one saying is like this. He said, I do not believe in a god or religion, which cannot wipe away the widow's tears with a piece of bread to the orphan's mouth. So I felt this is the god I want. This is the religion. Could you repeat this again? Yeah. No, no, Could please, you repeat just the same? Okay. I do not believe in record. This is recording. It's recording. I do not believe in a god of religion which cannot wipe away the widow's tears. In India, a widow was a very uh, situation 150 years ago. They couldn't leave their homes, they couldn't come out or wipe away the tears of orphan. We could be the bread to orphan smoke. So I thought that's the reason I want. That is helping people. He was the first man who said, The poor are my gods. That's inspired by then statements like, I call every young man a traitor who having been educated at people's expense based on the least he I became a physician because I studied in a government college. In my country spent only 1800, I spent only 1800 rupees to become a doctor. But my country spent 200 million to make me a doctor. I felt I had to give back my country. And that inspiration came from this extraordinary man. So he called upon the youth of this country to work for him. My inspiration came from him, and I was 17 when I read his books. At 19, I started this organization, it was 31 years ago. I believe, he believed in universalism. He said every religion is saying the same thing. Let us learn to respect every religion. I may be born a Hindu, he said, I am proud to be a Hindu, but he carried the Bible with He could quote from the Quran. So he said, universalism is the religion of the world. We should learn to respect and accept every religion. But practice your own. So if you are a Muslim, practice Islam. But respect Hinduism and Christianity. If you are a Christian, practice Christianity, but respect other religions. I like that philosophy. So I am a very staunch Hindu. Because I am a staunch Hindu, I can respect every other religion. Yes. Sacrifice, we should serve, we should be all truthful and 
should be non-violent. That is our values. And these are world values, not mine alone. Everybody can practice them. Any other thoughts, any other questions that you have to I know it's lunchtime, and before I get a reminder to let go, but I'll be happy to share anything else you want to hear.
I am I got really confident with my government. <laughs> <laughs> this, that's I have, I have to argue with my prime minister saying he should look at this concept. He should look at human and social development. And it's difficult to change the government because there's so much pressure right all over the world for marketization. Development is not commoditized. Development is all about roads and buildings and vehicles and equipment and all that. And corporates determine what development is true. All over the world, not just India, corporates determine development. Because they are all driven by market economies. No longer the country's growth determined by people. It's determined by the amount of wealth you create. Three days ago, the World Bank has released a report. Many people have seen it. One person, top one percent of the world, and the wealth that they have is equivalent to the remaining 99% of the world. Anywhere in the world, it's Colombia, America, India, it's not different. No country is able to solve the economy equally. But if you do what I'm saying, you don't measure inequality by wealth anymore. You measure it by what the human capital you have, what the social capital you have. And that book I'm talking about is all about how you, how you do it. I have done it. I can show a model. I'm not talking in the air. I've actually shown how private human capital can be expanded, how the social capital can be expanded, and what are the consequences of it. We talk about consequences of intergenerational equity. I'll give you an example. My son studied most of his schooling years in my own school in the rural areas. He came to college here. Today, he can apply to Harvard, he can apply to Cornell, he can apply to any university in the world. Why? Because I know of them in this case. I study at Harvard, I teach at Cornell. My son gets the benefit of all that because he's my son, which means he gets my generation equity. He has made no investment, but he gets all the benefit of my generation. Right? That's called intergenerational equity. What intergenerational equity the Colombian tribal will get, or my forest-based tribal will get? Nothing. There is equity. That is where you have to bridge. Whereas my tribal child studying in my school can also aspire for that. He went to a business competition in IIT Kanpur three days ago. He got the first prize at 25,000 rupee cash prize. He's an indigenous tribal who's competing in a market business competition in IIT. Why could he go there? Because I sent him there. I became the bridge. He's enjoying my generation equity. So we need organizations like yours, working for those indigenous communities, who becomes a bridge, provides your equity to the people, and we need to do this for one or two generations. Then everybody's level will go up. Then one person will become smaller and smaller. Hundred percent will go up. Vivekananda, why, why do I admire him so much? He said it so beautifully. He said progress cannot be by revolution. It can only be through evolution. All of us have involved. He said equity cannot be brought in by pulling down the rich. He said equity can be brought in by pushing up the poor. And that is what we are trying to do. The brochure there is talks about it's a two-year program, four semester program. The degree comes from the University of Mysore. Uh, if you are working in the NGO sector, you can come in directly for the second year and you get a master's. If you university experience and you get a certification. If you can drop out after two semesters and you get a postgraduate diploma in management And then you can come back within seven years and do the second year and get your graduation. Or you can only do the second year and get an advanced postgraduate diploma. It costs in India uh, rupees, it 
opportunity to thank this dedicated team of workers and staff who are uh, making this program a wonderful afternoon or morning. That is uh, from 11 to 1 o'clock. And I thank Nandini Garu and others. We are traveling because of traffic jams. We do not be on time, sir. Thank you very much for all the arrangements. Wonderful program you have for this. Thank you very much. We now have a small uh, campus tour. It is 10 minutes to go around the campus. You also have an opportunity to uh, take a book of uh, either citizen. And it's a very agreeable book on all these experiences. So we, after the campus school, we will just walk across to our hostel, which is down the lane. And uh, we have lunch. Thank you. Please, ah, it's my problem. Miguel, thank you. Thank you. Uh,